communication originated as proto-speech, body language, and gestures. From there emerged writing, telegraph, telephone, texting, each trying to capture as much information as in-person conversation, and humans compensating for their limitations in interesting ways. What if we could transmit more information than a conversation could? The Social Implications of Communication Technology, this week. Philosophers. Philosophers. All right, David, what are we talking about today? I don't know. It's your topic. Uh, right. But I think we're talking about uh, the the differences between human modes of communication and how that relates to technology. Oh, yeah. That is that is what we're talking about, as discussed totally not five minutes ago. Um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting Take us back to, you know, the state of nature, if you will, or where we, all of the technology that we have uh, at that point is fairly limited. We're not that much different from, or our, our social structures are not that much different from other social animals that exist today, right? Mm-hmm. So at this time, languages have just kind of now come on the scene, or proto-languages, and we're able to vocalize things to one another to communicate information, right? And uh, these languages are pretty imperfect. Um, we can, they're mainly practical information that gets translated. You know, like there's a threat here. There's a waters over here. You know, there's probably not a whole lot of I'm angry, you know. I'm I don't know. Sad. There might be that. Um, there might be that, but honestly, up until that point, I think the big thing is that you're probably you probably don't have a lot of abstract language. No, um, which you could also you argue know, you're that not going to be describing parabolic curves in these proto languages. Of course not. That's no. not going to happen. Um, but you might be able to tell somebody to throw the thing at the thing. So in that in that way, you're you're requesting something involving a parabolic curve, but you don't you don't need to actually go into that level of detail. Right, and. Not only that, but at this point, we're not writing anything down. So all communication is in, in is in the instant. You know, there is no, I'm right. I'm scribing a letter to you. Right. I think another another important thing is yeah. Not only are we not using uh, a written language, we're also not exclusively using a spoken language either. No. Um, gestures can mean a lot in this time, and they're usually very contextual. Right. Like, I mean, I can I can make a vague grunt at you and point at a thing, and you can probably tell what I mean. Right. And a lot of that also has to do with the fact that you and I in this uh, ancient world probably have spent tons of time together and have built a personal understanding between each other. Mm-hmm. So another person could make a very similar sounding grunt in an like if we were to listen to them in an audio recording and look at the waveforms, they'd be very similar. But we also have a familiarity and we can tie that sound to the specific person making it. But even deeper and older, you can understand body language as secondhand. So if you're looking at me when I do it, you know even more specifically what I might mean based on how I act, you know. And right, these subtle cues that are really hard to kind of quantify out, you just kind of get a feeling, but what that feeling might be is just an it's an instinctive understanding of the way I'm standing, if I'm pointing or not, you know, what my face looks like specifically. That's a really big one. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
so yeah that's there's all these and other gestures that are learned with culture like there's the the classic uh uh comic that i'm sure everyone has seen now where you know someone is asking why does uh you know moving your head up and down mean yes and shaking it left to right mean no and the person shrugs in response because <laughs> that's just what we know it to mean right you know? i don't have to tell you i don't know i can just do this and you know exactly what that means yes um and one of the other most maybe fallaciously said um universal symbols uh the hello symbol or the the yes the palm, hand, palm facing forward wave palm facing forward wave as the greeting mm-hmm now, whether or not this is actually an international symbol for hello, debatable, um, but it's pretty That's probably as close to universal as you're going to get yes. for a hand gesture. Yeah, especially today. You can probably transplant a person from the southern half of the United States to um, the middle of sub-Saharan Africa. And if you see another human being, if you do that, they're probably not going to take it very differently than someone else. Right. I, I find it hard to imagine that coming across as aggressive or something. Right. It It's usually a more peaceful sign of, hello, I don't have a weapon in this hand or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in peace. I'm just trying to, I'm, I want to engage in social interaction of right. some type. Or, or at the very least, like, I acknowledge you peacefully. Like, right. Um, and other ones like that, like both hands up, typically indicates a surrender surrender or a submissive stance of you know i have i have nothing or you know i am not a threat i'm not going to do anything to you don't do anything to me please yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah and starting from that point going forward for tens of thousands of years or more that's kind of the basics of all human interaction until we start writing stuff down like and even once we start writing stuff down that's reserved for a very small group of people and it's trying to mimic what we've already come up with vocally, you know, and through other symbols. Right. The symbols represent sounds that we make with our mouths. Yes. They're phonetic, mostly. Is that the right word you would, you would use? Yes. Okay. So we're pretty good at that um, as human beings because it's, and especially now, it's kind of second nature to us because that's just how we do things. And we're equipped biologically with most people anyway. Um, your standard human being is equipped with the biological processes necessary to support that type of communication. Unlike other animals that have other forms, like we had just discussed a little bit before we got on the, t- the show, talking about echolocation, you know, that's different. But other creatures, that comes secondhand to them because they... That's just how they do things. They second evolved. nature, you mean. Second, second nature. Hand. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> second nature. Um, Although they, it literally is their nature, but anyway. Right. Well, first nature to them, I guess. <laughs> um, but talking and hand gestures and body language for the longest time were the primary ways we communicated to one another. Mm-hmm. And it's still probably the most prominent go-to way to communicate with someone in your general vicinity. You know, you and I sitting across from each other right now are talking to each other and... Right. If I need to communicate something to you, I'm probably not going to pull out a pen and write you a note and give it to you. No. Um, and when you speak, you're probably going to use gestures as well. Yes. I'm not going to sit perfectly still and speak. That would be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, fast forward 
thousands of years. I don't know exact time frames. I'm not an anthropologist. Um, someone has the idea, hey, why don't I come up with a way to talk to somebody far away? Maybe that wasn't the original purpose, but... I think, yeah, when we're talking... You're, obviously, you're talking about a writing system. Yes. I think probably the original purpose of a writing system is how about I communicate with myself in the future? Mm-hmm. You know, I need to keep a record of something. Yes. Um, but talking to myself in the future is almost the same as talking to someone else in the future when you consider that... Right. Well, yeah, you can also use this to like reference something to somebody else. Like, um, obviously one of the early applications of this is to write down laws because now we have societies developing that have laws. It's like, here are the writings of the things that are not allowed. Right. You can read them or, well, you can find someone who can read them and tell you whether something's allowed or if you did it, what is done to you because you did it. Right. And one, and uh, there's other advantages to this is that it allows the laws to be more unchanging than if they're just remembered. Um, right. That's kind of the big deal with like the Code of Hammurabi, right? That's one of, I, I don't know if it's the oldest known example, but it's one of the oldest examples that we still have. Right. The physical, I guess they're tablets or I don't know, probably cuneiform. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Again. Not an anthropologist. Well, yes, I think it is written in cuneiform, but yeah, the the medium they're written on is kind of weird it, anyway. And it's it's honestly kind of irrelevant. As long as a person at that time could transcribe it and someone else that was learned could read it and get the same or pretty much same meaning, it's effective enough as a yeah. writing system. So now I can write down a law as the king or whoever the highest ranking in the social hierarchy is. And the benefit to my subjects is that they know I can't just change it. It's at least fixed. Like, so if I'm angry one day, I can't justifiably say, yeah, that's against the law. Cause they could just look at that and go, but it's not on but the it's tablet not on the tablet. So what do you mean? Right. Um, which is, a, which is a huge, now, of advantage. course it might also at that time be in the law that, you know, the King can say whatever he wants. Sure. But at <laughs> least the King can do whatever he wants according to the tablet. You right. know? But the point is we're decentralizing authority from a single person that's an interesting concept this is not related to communication per se but it's an interesting uh uh phenomenon in human psychology as we develop societies that we begin to respect the written word more than how people actually feel it's definitely interesting and probably a good topic for another time yes not not trying to like yes but but i I agree that would yeah legal authority that's an interesting thing right because that's what that is yeah, the and emergence of legal authority as opposed to some other type of authority. Yeah, legal authority and the um, there's even an interesting sidebar we could probably do on that on the Chinese philosophy of legalism mm-hmm. that came about. Very similar. Um, anyway, so now we're writing things to each other. This is due to technology we have now. Like writing systems themselves are a technology and the mediums through which they're facilitated are also te- a form of technology. Be them tablets when we get paper you know that's a much more effective medium for at least short-term communication it's lighter and easier to carry and easier to actually put your message on it it's Um, not fragile either well not as not fragile to the same like if you drop it it's not going to shatter into a bunch of pieces right and uh (laughs) yeah so now i can write letters this is the and what we're really wanting to talk about today is now what are we losing you know because human communication 
changed with this technology. So now I can't just, I can't include my body language. I can't include my special flavor of how I communicate as mm -hmm. a human being. It has to be standardized so that someone else can read it. Yes. But by doing so, I'm losing Bandwidth. other meaning. I'm losing meaning. Yeah. It's a lossy conversion. So I don't think it's a huge surprise that when we start writing things down, that by itself necessitated an increase in vocabulary. Because now I have to put in a word, a specific event. And uh, one of the examples that comes to mind is, uh, this is in the Greek, so it's later on down the road, but the Greeks have the same words that have essentially the same meaning. have like multiple words that have essentially the same meaning. Uh, one of the ones from my more religious upbringing was the Greek words for the word love, mm. right? Yes. And, um, you know, agape is one of those words. I don't know the other ones, but the anyway, but they all mean love, which is an abstract concept, but they each mean a specific kind. You have friendship or brotherly love from like in brotherly in this way, we mean camaraderie more than yes. biological brotherliness. Mm -hmm. um, you do have familial love. You have passionate love, we'll say. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have this like more spiritual kind of, oh, what's the word they use? Um, you know what I'm talking about? I, uh, the word's escaping I, I me. No, but I don't, I don't remember the word. It's a... Uh, not unconstitutional. <laughs> I don't know why that came to my head. <laughs> unconditional. That's oh, it. unconditional. Okay. Right. Which is a, it's more of a parental to child kind of love. Yeah. Which is different than familial in that your child can't do wrong in your eyes because they don't know any better compared mm -hmm. to you. So you love them regardless of if they wrong you. Right. You know, you can't help it. Um, Another and, example of something like words that maybe wouldn't even need to exist like because i can i can see a reason for needing to describe those kind of things differently even when you're speaking out loud um like in person where you can where you can make use of gestures but like words that come to my mind when it comes to expanding vocabulary for the sake of being able to just have more words to use when we're writing down as a way of comparison think of the following words big mm. huge enormous Colossal. gigantic yeah. yeah other words you can find in reference to size in the D, &D player's handbook by the way um <laughs> <laughs> where they're actually classified but yeah all of those words they just mean big large there's another one um but to what degree big right and if we're in person i can express this with a gesture i can say you know you know there, there was this big thing or there was this big thing throw my arms out wide um the emphasis is on this. It right. was this big, which right. doesn't translate, unfortunately, over audio. It's about yay long, you know. <laughs> but I think anyone in their head is imagining me with my arms spread a certain length of yeah. what they would expect to be big. So if I said telling a fish story, oh yeah, this fish was about this big. You all know my arms are probably about a foot apart. And the number of times I use that over and over again, they get gradually farther apart. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that it's lost in translation when I just say, yeah, there is a big creature ahead of me. Okay. Your default definition for big is different than mine. Mm -hmm. So we had to come up with words that change a little bit, but they're still relative, you know, like what's the biggest thing I've ever encountered. So my definition of big is different than yours. 
Or right, and like I might call something big that's still smaller than me. Yes. Like I can think of a a big dog may not be as big as me, but it's big enough that I care how big it is. Right. <laughs> um, and what are we getting at? I guess with this, um, we're talking about how we we need to invent more words to add to our vocabulary so that writing so that we can still express these things in writing. Right. Without our gestures. Yeah. Yes, and not only that, but fields begin to emerge in which writing is used as a medium mm -hmm. and these writings take on different tones, which is interesting. So for example, let's go ahead and move up to the modern day a little bit. So it's easier to kind of understand because the concept about it being a lossy conversion still exists even today in the written word. If I were writing a scientific paper and I said, Hmm, I saw a big explosion. That's cool. unacceptable right. in the clinical sense. I would need to describe exactly how big it was in, hopefully, meters. How big? How long did it take? What color was it? Yes. Like, all kinds of things that we care about. And it's the kind of paper that make your eyes glaze over because that is absolutely not how humans communicate mm -hmm. generally. It's a skill to be able to write technically because it's not normal for the way we communicate. Mm -hmm. So that's another way that... This technology has expanded our means of communicating because we're communicating in a non, well, some would say unnatural, but we're natural creatures. And so it's a natural extension of what we do, but it's more artificial than speaking. Um, then there's also the storytelling way, which is oftentimes exaggerated and uses hyperboles and is much more verbose in its... It's verbose in its length of description, but not in its physical sense. You know, when you're describing a scene for the sake of a story, it changes what you talk about. You know, a lot of times people, when they're writing for a good example. Like selective emphasis of details. Yes. Um, a good example. I don't remember where the source of this comes from, but the, the lesson of the story is if I'm writing out a scene and I mentioned a gun on the wall that's mounted to the wall that better be used for something later on or it's unnecessary detail in the beginning. It's either, either that or you're like trying to paint a picture of a character. Right. It, it better come back. This is back. the kind of person who would have a gun hanging on his wall. Yeah. Right. It better have a purpose. And in that world, anything you write better better serve a purpose. Yeah. And if it, if, if it doesn't, it doesn't need to be there. And so it sets up our expectations when we're down the road reading a story that if it's mentioned we kind of make a mental catalog of it, of this might be useful later. Please remember this so that three chapters from now, when it's brought back up, I remember it, you know, uh, and this translates into the visual media. So that's probably, that's not the next thing. We're skipping one. Um, so we had person to person mm -hmm. speech communication. Then we went to writing and then the next technological advancement was the telegraph. Um, and we're leaving out even more ambiguous things, obviously, like smoke signals and stuff like that, because, I mean, it's the same thing as writing, just even more loss, lossy, in my opinion, and more specific to meaning. Like, these are just codes at this point. You know, it's not necessarily a primary means of communication. Right. Like, we set up, a, you know, some sort of array of torches across the hilltops. Right. And I know if I see a fire on one of the torches, we're being invaded Right. You know, we just agree beforehand that that's what this means. If I see that torch light, then I light my torch, and eventually this gets to the capital and the military is deployed. Right. Um, 
And of course, we also kind of glossed over hand signals, but those are in it's the same vein. A, it's just a gesture. It's yeah. just a gesture. Um, so then we move up and we get to telegraphs, which is now I can send sounds that symbolize words or letters more appropriately. And those letters are transmitted one at a time that can now make a message, a written message. Now, there's an interesting thing that happened when telegraphs became a thing, especially when we started to monetize them. So people who build these telegraph lines hope to make money off of it. So how do you do that? Well, if you want to use the telegraph, I'm going to charge you by the letter. Mm -hmm. Well, certain letters cost more than others because they're harder to transmit. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest things to send is punctuation because we didn't think about that when we first made them or we didn't care. Well, punctuation is not, doesn't occur very often anyway. Exactly. yeah, Morse code was at least, well, the revised version of Morse code, because by the way, the original one wasn't really that good. The revised Morse code uh, had all the letters arranged in uh, like most used order. So the E was right, probably the e, most used. Yes. And E is just dit, like a dot. Yes. And T is da, a dash. Yes. Um, you know, your very common letters have very, very quick, uh, uh, very short codes. Less common letters have longer codes, and of course, punctuations are very long. Yeah. yeah. So, this is starting to get to the heart of what we're talking about and how communication changes. So, anyone who's ever heard uh, like an old-timey show or something where they're reading off a telegraph, um, it go it, it, it's different from how you would normally write a letter. And it's usually to the tune of, Tehran is ours. Stop. We have gone and seized the capital. Stop. You know... Right, it was actually cheaper to send the word stop than it was to send a period. Yes, but because of this, it changed how we communicated. Even in a mild way, it changed the way we communicated because of the nature of this technology. And in this case, maybe it's the monetary reasons imposed by this technology and the way it's set up. But This happened, uh, this happened again as well with uh, SMS text messaging. Yes. Where you were charged by the message, so you needed to abbreviate. Not only because okay, there's two reasons for this though. One is you're being charged by the message, which has a fixed number of characters that can be sent per message. Yep. Um, and also the keyboard on your device is atrocious for typing out words all the way. Um, at least in the early days. Yeah, because uh, you had essentially what nine buttons. You had nine buttons to send twenty-six letters and a few symbols. Yep. Um. <laughs> so yeah, so you would. You would abbreviate it, and and yeah, some things carried over from the old Morse code abbreviations, and some things emerged differently. And we kind of we didn't know them, yeah. right? And we kind of went back to a phonetic way of speaking. Like a, a good example is, well, sort of. So you walt mate is a good example of this. It's a very short message when you type it out, but it's not spelled the way you would spell it properly. Right. It's the letter U space W O T instead of W. H-A-T, uh-huh. because what makes the same pretty sure. much sound in this context. Uh-huh. And mate is spelled M, the number eight, T-E. Or just M8. Or M8. Yeah, that's another one it could be. Um, because we all know the symbol eight sounds like eight. eight and so put an M on right. it. Like, or, well, and yeah, people didn't use that in the United States very much no. at the time when SMS was taking off. But you might see something like GR8. Great. Mm-hmm. Or here's one that carried over from Morse code. I didn't see this one in practice very often, but I've heard that it is used. B C N U. B 
BC and you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, that alongside a commonly abbreviated uh, phrases, LOL is probably the one that jumps to everyone's heads, which yeah. funnily enough actually had two meanings for the longest time before we all settled which, on one. Which created hilarity. Which created absolute hilarity. Or deep anger. <laughs> right. Great example. Someone says, my father just died. And the person responds, LOL. LOL. <laughs> Thinking that LOL stands for lots of love. Yep. And the recipient thinks laughing out loud. <laughs> Haha, your dad's dead. <laughs> But that's what you get when you start using these lossy conversions, you know, um, when you're constricted by the technology at hand. And some of these things have stuck around to today for brevity's sake when typing on especially the internet or sending messages over SMS. And new ones pop up all the time and they spread and they're literally just memes, you know, LMAO was not one of the original ones, but it spread as a more, uh, like, for example, we were talking about big earlier. Mm -hmm. So it's more intense than LOL. It's more intense than LOL. And there's also Roffle, mm -hmm. R-O-F-L, which is supposedly more intense than LMAO to some people, you know. So you start getting these new arbitrary memes for how intensely someone's laughing. And then, it evolved again to where instead of saying laugh out loud, if you wanted to laugh even harder, you could also just do L-O-L-O-L-O-L. -O 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 -O. Mm -hmm. And the more O-Ls you add on the end, the harder supposedly you're laughing out loud. Even though it doesn't make any sense if you were to try to translate to laughing out loud, out loud, out loud, out loud, out loud. It doesn't make sense. Right, but it's coming across the same as like if you instead of writing L-O-L, you wrote ha-ha, you're writing additional ha's. yes. For how funny it is. Right. And also in the same way, if I wanted to say something was huge, but I also want to say something was huge. If I wanted to put an... Right. You just stick more vowels in there. Yep. Exactly. So you get these weird, these oddities in uh, these new realms, and they're all enforced on us by technology that we created, not mixing well with our default form of communication, which mm -hmm. is really interesting. So... Actually, one, one more thing about, about text messaging. This is fascinating. You might have seen the, and I will recommend to those who haven't seen it, the Tom Scott video on uh, people who, uh, like, the ways that people try to create tone in text messaging. Mm. Have you seen this one? No, I have not. Um, it's fascinating. So, you know, I, so I just mentioned, you know, Back when everyone was charged by the text message, you know, we would abbreviate things. Now, we don't really have to do that. No. Um, everyone has unlimited text messaging or we're using online services that don't keep track of that. And we have full keyboards most of the time now. Yes. So, we don't need to do that. But, um, so back in the day, you may not have bothered to, like, capitalize or punctuate things because that takes more time and why bother? But now... If I if I wanted to type a sentence on my phone and have no capitalization in it, that takes effort because my phone wants to capitalize things that should be capitalized. It's mm. trying to autocorrect. People will intentionally write things without caps to seem more casual. Yep. Um, or, of course, if you type something in all caps, you're meant to sound like you're shouting. Yes. Um, you know, or, like, adding 
adding a period to the end of something sounds more serious. I was, that That's the first thing that jumped to my head. So, for example... Like, if I say, hey, with no punctuation, I'm just, I'm greeting you or trying to get your attention. But if I say, hey, period, hey. Yes. Well, that's not what I was thinking about. What I was thinking about is, say, my wife, docs, but uh, goes on to text me, as we were talking about that earlier. If she says, come here, with no period on it, like, she, she texts me from the other room for some reason, because um, i am got my headphones on, I can't hear her. Sure, then she just has something interesting to show you. Right, and it means, at your next convenience, yeah. come in here. But if she says, come here, come period, here, period, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble, yeah. <laughs> or, even worse, if she punctuates every word, come, come here. here. Yes, it, it's like, oh god, you, I'm... You might be dead. <laughs> I might I might not live, you know. <laughs> it's But we all know what that means, yeah. kind of, even though... Or also, here's another one that he that he brought up. Um, ending a question with a period um, to just to indicate like the the tone that you mean at the end of the sentence. Mm. Um, no so like if I say, inflection. Yeah. What with a period? Then I'm being I'm like expressing like either you know concern, Kurt. yeah, or or whatever. Anyway, but I'm I'm meaning for it to sound like what as opposed to what. Likewise, put a question mark on the end of something that isn't a question to indicate the rising tone. Yeah, the inflection like, change. I don't know. Yes. Put a question at the end. Mm-hmm. Also, intentionally misspelling words that require the same amount of effort to spell correctly. Uh, that's one I see a lot. There is a particular individual who we both have corresponded with over text. And when I say text here, I just mean in a text format, sure. not necessarily texting, mm-hmm. but um, who spells the word cool with a K. Yes. Okay, you know exactly who I'm talking I about. I do. But you know what that means. That's a goofy kind of way of saying something. Where mm-hmm. it's like you you want to be kind of goofy, and so you're spelling words wrong, but they they sound the same, so it's even more lighthearted than casual, you know. Mm. Um, That's super interesting. But we skipped one, if we're going by the technological timeline, because we had Morse code, but we went straight from Morse code to something else. Telephone. Ah, uh, yes. Which was weird because we went from a lossy, a very lossy form of communicating uh-huh. to a less lossy form of communication. Which right, quite a good one, yeah. Quite a good one, which you would think people would prefer. However... It requires both of you to pay attention at the same time. Exactly. And so you... Our society kind of changed in what they valued when it came to a conversation. asynchronously with lots of different people at the same time. Which is preferred. And... Yeah, and when I get busy, I can just put my phone down and get back to it when I get back to it. Right. I don't have to sit on the phone with you. And now I'll, uh, now most everybody hates receiving phone calls. Yep. And there's a and so much so that there is an anxiety associated with them now. Mm-hmm. Because realistically... The only reason you're calling me is because something bad has happened or something like that. Or the only people who call you these days are telemarketing firms or it's something bad like you're late to pay a bill those are still done through automated phone call more than they are through the text or whatever so you it's actually in i uh, forget it's not the dsm but there's a it, i forgot where i read it but essentially a bunch of psychologists were talking about there's a growing anxiety that's contributing to anxiety disorders around phone calls and that's the main source of anxiety. Hmm. Your phone rings and you become anxious all of a sudden. And it's also because it's you're you're essentially being forced at that moment into a binary choice now. 
Answer or don't. Answer or don't. And there are implications for both. Because it's also still considered rude to ignore someone's phone call. So the person who's calling you is putting you into a, and as, as ridiculous as it might sound, is putting you, is boxing you into a binary choice where you're going to have to do something you don't like either way. I'm either going to have to be rude and, well, and not only this, I'll go into that in a second. Uh, you're going to be rude and not answer in some way, shape or form. Or I'm going to have to lock myself into a conversation. I can't just abruptly leave. Right. Because hanging up on somebody is even worse than even not answering. Worse, yeah. And also it restricts me from doing anything that I would be doing at this current place in time. Um, what's interesting though is these weren't necessarily problems when phone calls first came about. It was considered awesome to get phone calls and it was the primary go-to way to communicate because I'm not sending, well, and, and the technological limitation there being landlines. You know, I I could escape a phone call by just not being in a physical place mm -hmm. where a phone was and, or specifically my phone. My phone. Right. If someone called you and, and suppose you, well, first of all, it was hard to tell who was calling you back then. Caller ID was not a thing. Right. Um, but even if you had a strong suspicion about who was calling you or you have one of those newfangled answering machines and you want to let that figure it out for you, um, they don't know that you're at home. You could just say, oh, I wasn't at home or, you know, I was in the bathroom or whatever. You know, you can come up with an excuse for why you weren't able to answer the phone. Now everyone is carrying their phones with them in their pocket all the time, or right. at least that is the assumption. So if you don't answer, then you're just being rude. Well, and like a good example of this in media, um, my wife and I recently started watching through Trailer Park Boys. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. I've heard of it. Okay, there's a recurring theme at the beginning of the show where one of the main characters, whose name is Julian, um, almost every episode it starts off with him in his trailer. And he has a phone, a landline, and there aren't cell phones really at the beginning of the show. It's older than when cell phones were common enough for everyone to have one. Um, but he has an answering machine right next to it, and he never answers the phone. He lets it go to voicemail and listens to people leave him a message and then decides whether he wants to pick up or not. It's an old form of screening calls, right? Um, but another thing that occurred at this time was, as a social phenomena acceptable phone calling hours. And this was something that, because when I was growing up, when I was very young, we still didn't have cell phones. My parents didn't have cell phones. We just had the landline. And there's something special at six o'clock that happens that you don't answer the phone. And everyone knew this. Because six o'clock is telemarketer o'clock. All telemarketers call you at six because six o'clock is dinner time. And they're trying to catch you when you're home for sure. But there's another thing where I would get scolded for trying to call someone after 9 or 10 p.m. because you're calling someone too late. And then so there's like this window of time when it's acceptable at the beginning of the day, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. It's acceptable to call somebody. If you call them between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m., don't call for the man of the house because he's working. And if the wife works too, she's not going to answer. So there's no expectation. And then after 7, from like, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. is your next acceptable window, right? And so these social constructs kind of formed up around the technological limitation as well that I was, I carried over when I first got a cell phone, which is kind of weird because not everyone had one. Um, so it doesn't just change the method by which you communicate and the way you're communicating, but when you're allowed to communicate through that method, which I thought was interesting. 
Um, and that carried on for my grandmother, who never had a cell phone until the day she died in 2012. I'm sorry, 2014. Extra doxed. Extra docked. Yeah, well, okay, a lot of people died in 2014, but whatever. Um, but she upheld that social standard until that time. And that was really interesting to see juxtaposed against the change in technology. So that's another thing. As you see technology change faster, there's gaps that begin to occur between mm -hmm. people groups on their ability to communicate with one another and understanding limitations between each other of how they can and can't communicate. You know, that's just another effect. So that's telephones. Um, and with telephones, the only other real limitation that came in is, hey, don't make a long distance call. Or wait till a certain time when long-distance calling is free, you know? <laughs> Those are just kind of minor things. Um, but you kind of went back to talking like you normally would. Because now you have access to more information. You can hear tone in people's voices. Um, and it added one other special thing that you couldn't do before. Slamming the phone. That was another thing that was introduced in the ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. I, the way in which I hung the phone up. It's sort of like the way you close the door when you leave. Yep. I can slam it and phones were built real sturdy back then. So you could absolutely just slam the handset down and it was fine. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's just another interesting thing. But we, from going from Morse code, it was a step up in our ability to transmit information. Because now I can transmit not just words, but how I say them. You know. Right. Then we go back to text-based with texting. And then we just kind of already talked about the implications of that. And then moving even further forward, it's a different form of text-based through the internet and the first form with that was email which was also interesting because it kind of harkened back to physical mail and emails were constructed similarly you know um when you send someone an electronic mail it wouldn't be a short message you would write out usually what all you wanted to say as though you didn't expect a response back for a good period of time. Right. It was as if you wrote a letter to that person. Right. It just, um, yeah. Because that was the whole analogy. Um, yeah. You, you'd write out your message. You wouldn't know how long it would take to get to them. Um, or if they were even at their computer at the time to get their email. Because that was another thing. You, you didn't just leave email running all the time because it costs money to maintain a persistent internet connection. Um, so... You know, your terminal will be off most of the time and you'd have a time of the day where you reach out to the email server, get all your mail for the day, disconnect from the server, read all your mail, type up your responses, put them in your outbox. There's that outbox thing that nobody uses anymore, but still exists. I wouldn't say no one uses it anymore. That's your like last chance for, oh crap, oh crap, I didn't mean to send that. If it hasn't left the outbox yet, maybe I can stop it, but you probably don't have time because computers are way faster than you. Right. That's um, about it. So yeah. anyway, so the outbox... Write up your message, put them in the outbox, then connect to the mail sending server, which might be different, um, and send all the stuff that you have queued up to send. Right. It's just like the mail. You go out to your mailbox, get your mail for the day, write up your responses. If you feel like it, then put it back in the mailbox with the flag up for the next day. Right. And then after that, very quickly, you had instant messaging was the next thing. Actually, no. Okay. Am I skipping something? Internet relay chat. Okay. But IRC is very, very similar to IM in practical use. It is, but when I think of IM, IM clients are normally direct person to person. Fair enough. Um, whereas IRC is channel based. Okay. Um, so that that's the difference is you're you're getting together with folks in a channel to usually talk about a common subject. Or they're you know obviously there's just social channels where people just talk. 
Sure. Anyways, you have that. And IRC has direct messaging, but that was often considered like rude unless you requested it. Right. Um, I guess, but they both fill a niche of they're less formal than email and you expect a immediate response most yes. of the time. Um, and that distinction kind of exists today. Um, but email kind of has evolved to occupy a new space for most people. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I have different experiences here. Email has become the new formal mail in a way that I, like, I imagine if you told a person you need to send a mess, send this message and it's an arbitrary message. You can type it however you want. Send this message to this person over email and send it to a, the same person over text. They will greatly change how they communicate that because email is perceived to be a more formal form of communication. And so you don't shorten words most of the time. You, you're very verbose. It's Email is the business way, the business professional way to communicate. Whereas I am and things like it are now the casual way, mm-hmm. even though well, we'll get into that in a minute. And then, of course, yes, IRC. And then after that, we had social media that kind of became a thing where you have different forms of this communication happening and it really just kind of explodes. Um, At the same time as that, there was also the evolution of instant messaging where it became no longer limited to text. Um, right. So now we can communicate by sending images to one another. Um, these could, this could either be simply like sharing photographs that you might show somebody in person, but it could also be when we were going back to the, the example uh, that you were saying, like you're say you're a scientist and you're having to describe the explosion that you saw during your experiment. You could also just send somebody a video of the thing. Yes. Or here is exactly what it looked like and how long it took. You can look at it yourself. Right. Obviously this doesn't pass for academia, but if I want to communicate you, if I want to communicate to you what something looks like and I can do it again, all I got to do is stick it in front of a camera and I can show you what it looked like. Right. And as cameras have become more prominent, well, we'll get to that. Um, So then you had social media and this added another layer. So most social media platforms for the longest time did support some form of direct messaging. We changed the name because it's to be more descriptive of what we actually mean. I'm sending a message to one person, Mm -hmm. but now you have, and this has been around before this forum style, which of text communication, which is similar to IRC because they're usually based around a a topic. For example, um, we'll take one of the most common forms, Facebook. If I post something on my wall, I'm usually the subject because it's on my wall, if you will. And people now are communicating via subject response in comments you know and so we're commenting to each other and we also now have this extra layer of reactions to comments i can like what you said without having to say anything there's a symbol for that now Mm -hmm. i can just click a button and communicate that i like it um or i can not like your post but like someone's comment in a way of voting for which one i prefer and then you can look at how reddit does this now I can actually have a hand in deciding what gets shown to the most people by actively involving myself in that realm. That's still, you know, I don't want to go too much into that, but it's another layer of how we communicate. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the reactions grew from just liking and disliking because they took away disliking because negativity is bad. So you have liking and not liking, which is pretty much the same as disliking, but not really. And then you have all these other reactions. And then you go even further and 
also the time periods between each of these forms of communication evolving are shortened each time, you know, and, and that kind of plays into what I was talking about earlier with these gaps in uh, your ability to communicate with different groups of people. Um, so after social media, um, I'm just going to skip to the next form of direct communication, which is now video chatting, um, which we've restored back to the most lossless form of communication, sort of. It's still lossy because you, you're you not sharing the same context anymore because you're probably not in the same place if you're video chatting or FaceTiming, which is more commonly referred to as due to the widespread of, a, or at least in my circles, people call it that even if it's not on that specific platform. But now I can uh, just see what someone looks like, see their reactions, and hear what they're saying with all the inflection. So now I, we're storing it back to our ability to communicate. And then now that's kind of the, the highest level of ability to communicate with someone we have. Um, it's the most thorough way so far we've come up with technologically to communicate. At to, a distance. At a distance to try to replicate interpersonal communication to people in the same area. Mm -hmm. All right, so that was 45 minutes going on through the history of it just to get to the point of what we actually kind of wanted to talk about. So where do we go from here? Um, well, one of the things that I, I found, I've, I've found very interesting, um, and this comes from an Elon Musk interview with uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast where he talks about Neuralink. And uh, one of the main issues is that there is a bandwidth limitation between human and electronic device, right? When you are using your cell phone, which is what most people use, or your smartphone, or we just call it the phone now, um, I can only communicate with it as fast as my thumbs can move, or if I'm using a camera at as fast as I can talk or move my face, right? Um, there's, And that's a pretty narrow bandwidth for what our technology is actually capable of delivering. Um, a good example of this is looking at uh, the in the modern day, the Zoom client can support up to 100 people connected speaking at once. Now, and the bandwidth limitation is still on us because if I looked at a screen that had 100 little screens in it with all filled with human talking heads, talking and trying to communicate, now the bandwidth limitation's on me. Yeah. I can't, like I actually had this it's happen. chaos. I actually had this happen to me thus last week at work. I accidentally got scheduled into two meetings at once and I was in both meetings, and I could not adjust the volume between both. But usually in these meetings, only one person's talking at a time, and you still have the ability, like you do in a crowded room, to selectively kind of pick out one conversation to listen to, even mm -hmm. though you're hearing the other one, you're just not comprehending it. So I was doing that going back and forth, and that 30 minutes overlap of these two meetings was awful exhausting it's very difficult to maintain focus with that much interference just using my ears not to mention the fact that all of these people are also on video camera and i'm also on video camera so i would have to change the way i spoke when i'm just trying to speak to one group to not appear to the other group like i'm speaking to them it was very very interesting to try to do with what i'm biologically equipped with to communicate um but this Neuralink technology he's talking about is moving beyond the ability to use our preset ability to communicate, you know, body language, spoken word, and gestures 
which is what we commonly use to right. communicate. We're basically, with each other. we're removing the translation layer. Yes, and we're going direct brain to brain, where I can just. Right. I don't have to encode my thoughts into a language that you then have to decode. It nope. also takes time and energy. Um, but we're offloading that onto a machine. Yeah. That's doing it for us, and not only doing it for us, but this machine understands in some way. It's still kind of lossy. It. You know, because we're not literally in the same brain or we're not two halves of the same brain, but it's able to understand how to put things in terms that you can think. Right. And then translate them into ways that I think, because we all think a little differently. Right. And so I can communicate a concept to you without saying anything and it will translate it into the concept for you. And also, this could also break the language barrier as well. Yes. You could transmit a concept to me, even if we have no languages in common so every bit of communication we've had in the past is trying to get back to just talking to someone in person and this would be the first time we're going beyond and actually able to translate more information than just talking to you in person could achieve right Right. we're not just yeah we're not just doing the same thing we've always done at a distance we are now doing more than we have ever done right but this presents some pretty unique challenges for human beings. One of the first one is we can exploit ambiguity even face to face. One of the biggest exploits is lying, for example. Or, or just withholding information. Or just withholding. Um, so you and I having this conversation probably each have had a bunch of thoughts go through our heads that we didn't say. Because we either determined it wasn't appropriate for the conversation or we didn't want to go there or we didn't have a, we didn't form it well enough yet. So we were not comfortable sharing it or I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't want to interrupt. But now if we were able to Neuralink and have a conversation, we're both hearing all of each other's thoughts. And not only that, but hearing them in their most unformed ways as well, all at once. Um, so one of the scenarios that was listed, we're going to kind of step out from that is now I can talk to more than one person at a time in the same way that I can have more than one thought at a time affect my brain. Your brain doesn't just ever think about one thing at a time. There's usually a primary thought that you're focused on, but you can have thoughts going on elsewhere that affect your thinking more subconsciously as well. Um, a good an example of this is you having an idea you know all of a sudden to you something jumps to the forefront of your brain or i'll say that the focus of ah new idea you haven't thought of it yet but you did like that's the thing your brain had to be preparing that idea for you to think about it before you thought about it i can receive those from you and then hours later after our conversation the murky underwaters of my brain finally finished processing and are like oh here you go front brain you know, your cerebral cortex or whatever it is here's you a new idea and now oh new idea and i'm thinking about it not even knowing where that idea originated from and we already do this today we don't know where our ideas necessarily come from but now i can receive those ideas from other people <laughs> so you could be contemplating something and then i talk to you i open up a neural link with you and then it gets transferred to me and it stays in the back of my head and then even after it's severed Then it pops to the front of my brain later. That's something we've never been able to do before. Mm -hmm. And that's not so much social. 
But the one that I think that we kind of talked about that made us want to talk about this episode is you can now know exactly how I think and about any topic that comes up. Mm-hmm. So there are things humans do like telling bad news. You know, people often say, don't lie to someone when you have to tell them something they don't want to hear, but you can soften it and change the way you want to say it. And there can be, some people might say there's some dishonesty there, you know, like telling someone their parent died, right? Normally you don't just look at that person and say, hello, David, your dad's dead. Like, I don't do that. Like most people don't do that. You try to be empathetic about it. Even if you're not, you, you try to be that right. You way. try to upfront, make it clear that you are also feeling bad about this thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. You're not alone in the feelings you're about to have. Right. I'm not here to hurt you <laughs> emotionally. Exactly. Even though what I'm going to tell you will hurt you emotionally, but it's not me who's doing it. It's the information. Right. I'm just the messenger. Yes. Imagine that conversation when I can't preemptively soften that blow. And not only that, but you know exactly how I feel about it. So say, for example, I don't really care. Right. Which there's no reason for me to care. It's not my right. mom. You know, right. like. You, yeah, you don't know my parents. And I, But you could also know that I do feel bad for you. But it's this complicated thing that we normally just gloss over by pretending but now you can't pretend anymore right well i mean and this gets particularly awkward if you actually like say did know my dad and you didn't like him exactly another one is uh and this kind of harkens back to something we talked about before when we talked about lying um when you reference sam harris you know your wife or your girlfriend looks at you and says this dress make me look fat you know, <laughs> you can't pre-process that and come up with an answer that, you know, is trying to satisfy what right. she's actually asking. She gets your first impression <laughs> instantly. Just boom. What's your first thought about this? And if your first thought is yikes, that's not going well, you know, but on the other side of it, you can also send things you couldn't communicate before that are positive. Mm-hmm. You can say things that people have to just take your word on and then understand that you mean it. So, Or it, think of the cliche, I, words cannot explain how I feel about this. Yep. Now you don't need them to. Exactly. Um, it also changes the landscape for politics a lot when you really think about it as well. Imagine your favorite politician thought casting, you know, their proposal to be president or whatever Mm -hmm. it's really hard for them to be like i care about x group of people Mm -hmm. but not really though like i'm just telling them this so they'll suck it up and vote for me like you know you can't hide that anymore you can't hide that anymore no um and that's going to be super interesting Mm -hmm. because the more i think about it the more i'm like you know i thought about the girlfriend you know does this dress make me look fat example your first thought is yikes she's going to know that i don't that i think it does but She'll also know that I think it does, but I don't care because that's probably true if it's true. And so at the in, in the end, I think it's going to be a hard transition because now we're just laying bare our souls, if you will, to each other when you open these Neuralinks. Which, by the way, you also might think twice about who you're opening up to when you talk to them because now you can't selectively withhold thoughts from people necessarily. 
I was just thinking about how awkward first dates would be with this. Woof. <laughs> um, yikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, the techno-optimist in me, I will say, thinks this might be a good thing for us, though, because it'll allow us to just start cutting to the chase a lot of the time about what we actually think and feel. Right, you really have no choice but to be honest. Exactly. And that's just a good thing almost all the time. Almost all the time, it's better to just be honest. And not only that, but you also can't selectively hear what people say. Like, a good example, um, I can't take what you say and then filter it through my biases on what those words have meant to me in the past, right? Right. So I can't intentionally miss... I, I can't pull the whole, so what you're saying is... Exactly. Yeah, you can't you can't twist someone's words or put new words in their mouth like nope because they didn't even say any. Um you know, and and you can do the e- even if there is some like reconciliation that needs to be made, you can do that back and forth really quick. Mm-hmm. You know, I I give you my concept, you have a reaction to it and then I see the reaction and and there there can be that back and forth reconciliation silently and very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. Um, we reach a, a resolution where you understand what I mean, and you you still might not like it, but you're not, you know, you're not putting it through your own filters in that way, right? But it also helps us communicate our emotional states to each other, which mm-hmm. are often the hardest things to put into words. Yes, you know, and this happens all the time. You know, you look at someone says they're obviously body language wise angry, and if you ask them. Are you mad? Like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> okay. No, you're not. But it's hard to talk about it at that moment. But if you could just understand why they're mad, you can also get to these contexts. And, and I hear this this argument. There are arguments that spring up from this thing a lot that I hear people talk about where guy, and it's usually between uh, couples. Um, guy complains that, well, my wife was mad the other day. And when I asked her why she was mad, she got even more mad. So why do I even bother asking? And if you asked her why, and she's like, well, I just wanted him, I wanted him to care and I shouldn't have to explain why he should care. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there are some of these kind of irrational things that happen where you know what you want people to do, but by telling them what you want them to do, it's not genuine anymore. Right. There's a way you're just commanding somebody. Exactly. You, you want them to understand what you want. And don't get me wrong, there's something about that in relationships that can really increase the intimacy in two people's relationship by being able to just intuit what that other person wants. That That's what can help set a relationship between two people apart, which is usually what you're looking for in something like a spouse or a long-term partner. But now, you don't have that anymore. You, you can have that with anybody. Um, because... You're already telling them what you want just by thinking about it, you know. Um, it's And I'm sure there's plenty of other interesting thought experiments uh, around this, but I think we only have time for one since we're coming up on time that I've thought about recently. So there's this phenomena of pathological liars mm. that can become severe enough where they actually believe their own lies. So think about that in the context of, I can just share thoughts with you. 
there will be certain people who can communicate lies and they will pass the they'll pass the genuineness test because mm-hmm. they really do think that but it's also still a constructed lie mm-hmm. and you know we, we've kind of gotten a taste with this um when we look at things like lie detectors which and polygraphs which don't even get me started on how faulty those things are mm-hmm. but there are people that can easily blow through polygraphs because they're conditioned conditioned to do that and they can do that in this example as well so what do you think happens when you have a class of people who they can communicate genuine thoughts all day that are absolutely not what they they are what they really think but they're so convinced of it that they can communicate it as a genuine thought but also turn on a dime and stop thinking about it that way if they really wanted to you know what what are your thoughts on those kind of people in this space i don't know that matters a whole lot um like my my impression of it is it's going to be it's just going to be like a, a I'm trying to I'm struggling to think of the the word that I want. Basically I'm thinking about okay. There are no doubt people that I know who could be like this. Um maybe even <laughs> uh maybe even uh you know people who I who I trust a lot. And when they speak, I can tell that they are being genuine in their speech. So it, it's the same problem. Like, I have every reason to believe that this person is being honest about what they're saying. That does not mean that I should believe what they have to say. Hmm. Um, and, and actually, this, this doesn't even have to happen in, happen in the, the context of a pathological liar, either. It can be someone who is just genuinely deluded about something. Right. Or, you know, hasn't thought through their, their reasons for thinking something. Um, this is something I really do run up against a lot of my family, as you well can, can imagine. Um, you know, where I can, I can hear somebody being honest about something that I think is complete nonsense. Right. Um, I think it's the same thing. You know, I can, I can tell the genuineness of somebody's thoughts in this case, but that doesn't mean that I'll believe them. But do you think that it'll become worse when you're dealing with people that you're unfamiliar with? Like, for example, there are some people who haven't quite adjusted to social media well where they take social media posts as serious as someone saying it directly to them, but as filtered through the way you're perceiving their text on a page, a web page in this mm-hmm. case. And these are the people that are up at 3 a.m. and can't go to bed because someone on the internet is wrong, right? They already have this problem with just what someone wrote. And a troll like me will just come along and write things that I don't mean and I think are funny and agents of chaos who just love to see other people squirm over it. What do you think will happen when there's a group of people that now that they have every new reason to take it as legitimate? Because say I am able to genuinely post a thought post about something at a certain time. The thing about that, I can post a thought that I had at a certain time mm-hmm. and it's memorialized in a time stamp, you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought this on um eight twenty one twenty twenty at eight PM. I thought this thought and then I leave it on a web page and someone comes across it two years later and they intuit my thought from two years ago. It's even more genuine than something I just wrote. Mm-hmm. to them if i was sure of it you know 
do you think it would be even harder to get those people to come to the realization that, yeah, but that was two years ago, for example, or just because they genuinely thought that doesn't mean that it's sensible. You know, do you think that that would make that issue even worse or would it be about the same as today? The way people misinterpret the written word online. I could see potential for it being worse personally because it's getting past these built-in defenses that we have around our emotional weaknesses in our brains to accept thought germs, you know? I think like the, the severity with which it is taken, I don't know if that will change all that much because people obviously, obviously people do take it very seriously already. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how they could take it more seriously than they do in some of these cases. That's fair. Um, you know, to the point where people go on campaigns to try to get people fired from their jobs because of something they wrote online trying to be funny. Um, but like the defenses for that right now, people who don't think that person should be fired could say, yeah, but it, they just wrote it. You don't know what they were thinking at that time. You don't know how they felt when they wrote it. You don't know what exactly what they meant. Right. So the, the place where I think it would be different is that you might lose your ability to say that was just a joke. Mm. Because, you know, if you in your smugness, uh, you know, made made such a post and now your boss can actually think what you thought and make his judgment about it. Mm. Yikes. That is is true. (laughs) But on the upside, you lose that ambiguity over what's a joke or not because... Right. It it all depends on how like how genuine can you be when you're making such a post. Like right. is there still some trace of your lightheartedness about it that can be detected or not? Right. Or does it determine is it still determined by the perceiver? You know, that's the other thing right. we, we don't know because this is all theoretical still. Mm-hmm. Um it'll definitely be interesting. And there are other things I don't have really time to talk about, but like collective consciousness thinking so say fifth right now say if 10 people got together to collaborate on a problem they're with they're restricted by their ability to only one person can speak at a time and all this but imagine that 10 of you can get together and share your thoughts about it and try to solve a problem it might increase our ability to solve problems cooperatively and work cooperatively mm-hmm. you know there's other benefits there but that's definitely interesting but i think we're running out of time um, do you have any uh, last comments you want to make since we're running up on time? This has been an interesting topic. For sure. Um, we uh, we went a lot more into the history than I thought we would, but that was uh, that was fun. For sure. And um, I think it's important to understand, you know, why this is kind of a more groundbreaking thing than it might have appeared first off, you know. I think uh, maybe my, my final comment about it, because uh, I don't think this is... Uh, like this particular thing is enough to be its own its own show topic. Um, so we we had uh, we had the idea, and I think it's still in our backlog somewhere to talk about various things about forum etiquette. So keep in mind, although it has nothing to do with this, uh, you know, uh, neural linking technology, um, to spend a bit more time contemplating. And I realize our our listeners may do this already. Contemplating the low bandwidth nature of text communication. True, because some people don't understand you know what what this is doing you know obviously we have these people that take jokes very seriously and this is this is a failure of the uh low bandwidth nature of text is that they are projecting their own emotions onto the text yep it's very different if you're in a comedy club and you hear someone say something than when you're fired up about a certain issue and you hear someone comment about it later yeah 
which is why taking recordings of people in one setting and then applying them in another can be disastrous but whatever you know yeah so that's okay. what i have to say cool uh, i don't think i have anything else to say okay philosophers philosophers if you like the music in this episode please check out jippy on bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com philosophers is supported by viewers like you if there's a topic you'd like us to discuss or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description or in the comments below thank you for listening